This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Shawley. Many thanks to Patrick McGuire and Carol Walker for looking after you over the Easter break, but I'm back and asking a big question. Do you feel better off than you did four years ago? Uh, that was the Reagan question. Uh, do you feel better off than you did 13 years ago? It's a question that Labour are trying to pose ahead of the next election. So, why are Labour doing so badly on the economy compared to other policy areas? That's the thing we're going to take a look at. Uh, in our big thing coming up, we've got Paul Johnson and Peter Manderson and Poppy Trowbridge and some polling as well. So we're going to do that in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with The Columnists. The Columnists with Libby Rachie. Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. Uh, Rachel, let's start uh, talking about the Times Health Commission, which, of course, you're uh, chairing. And an extraordinary story over the weekend, uh, talking about compensation, uh, the cost of compensating mothers and their families for harm caused by NHS maternity services is now so much money, it's more than we spend on the maternity services themselves. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? In, in fact, it's more than double. It's almost wow. triple the amount. Um, so the amount on compensation and legal cases is over £8 billion a year. And the amount spent on maternity care itself is only £3 billion. Um, and I just found this absolutely stunning figure, really, and shocking. Uh, and this, we, we came across this because James Titcombe, uh, oh, yeah, who is one of our commissioners, um, is a patient safety campaigner who very tragically lost his own baby, Joshua, when he was very, very tiny in the Morecambe Bay scandal. Um, and he suggested we should look into this. Um, so we got Matilda Davis on the data team to crunch the numbers. And she revealed this astonishing astonishing um, mismatch. And, and what I, I, I th I've been trying to talk to people about what the explanation is um, since we found these figures. And I, I think there is one factor, which is that payouts for a baby who is, for example, brain damaged can be very high. So you can have a huge multi-million pound settlement for individual families because the child will need a lifetime of care. That then, I think, leads to a kind of cover-up culture in some maternity units. But there's, there's just been a succession of these scandals. Um, 
And something's got to change. I think it's to do with, some people say also, there's a kind of clash between the obstetricians and the midwives. It's one of the few bits of the NHS where you have two sets of professionals almost competing, if you like. So there's there's a lack of clear lines of accountability. But, you know, just in terms of the, the human tragedy of this, it's obviously appalling. But also in terms of the amount of money that's being wasted, that £8 billion is an awful lot of pay rises for nurses and doctors. Um, and what, interestingly, um, Rachel, last summer, when he was a mere backbencher, Jeremy Hunt was, wrote a book about this and talked about not only the fact that there was a sort of moral case for, for trying to improve the quality of services, but there was a financial case as well because of the amount of money that was spent on compensation. Yet we, we learned today, there's a story in The Mirror, John Stevens in The Mirror, reporting that uh, a task force set up to reduce the number of black mothers who die during childbirth hasn't met for nine months um, yeah, and and so it, it seems like <laughs> everyone's got a good idea about it. They get the government and forget all about it. Well, there's a that there's shocking um, inequality in outcomes. So the black mothers, I think, are three times more likely to die in childbirth than white ones. You know, it, mm. it's just absolutely scandalous. And you do wonder whether this is at the bottom of the par because it involves women. I know that's a sort of I don't want to sound too much of a rabid feminist, but it, it does seem astonishing that maternity services seem seem to be too often so inadequate and in fact dangerous. Um, and and that in a way that doesn't apply to other parts of the system. Um, Libby Purvis is with us. Um, Libby, what what do you make of because it, 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 it? There's I mean, obviously, it'd be better if there weren't mm. the mistakes made in the first place. And if we're spending double the amount on compensation as we uh, for maternity care mistakes as we are on maternity care itself, that just strikes me as mad. Well, it is, but it seems to me that in this and a lot of other medical and NHS disasters, a lot has been about cover-ups, which is fear of blame and fear of hierarchy, fear of whistleblowing because of hierarchy. And that, that's a culture which really needs mm. to change and follow that principle. Uh, somebody, uh, somebody, uh, Lord Darcy has mentioned it, but it's also used in airlines, that you try not to cover, you try to learn from errors, you try to keep blame out of every picture at every level, as long as it is reasonable, until there really is obvious blame. Uh, but the cover-up and the hierarchy thing, I don't know if Rachel has sort of found this as, as well, it just, it does feel a very unhealthy thing in the health service. I've seen tiny edges of it myself. And um, you, you, it, it needs tackling. You know, people need to have a confidence at every level. Exactly. And James Titcombe himself, he was a nuclear safety. He worked in the mm. sort of nuclear industry. And so understands how important safety is. And he he explained to us the sort of mismatch difference between the nuclear industry and the NHS. And it is about this sort of not learning from your mistakes and the cover up and the fear of failure. And you actually have to have introduce a culture where you can learn from it. So he, in fact, says he'd much prefer a system that isn't about lit litigation and legal routes, that so what he says parents like him want is for the system to learn so that other parents don't have to go through the same trauma and tragedy. And that, in fact, um, litigation and these court cases are often re-traumatizing if you like that they it's it's uh, not as painful but it's it's another mm. painful step and if the system could be shown to be learning to make sure mm. this doesn't happen again then that would be a much preferable both financially but also emotionally and morally
Just, just very quickly, with the black and Asian uh, mothers, but maternity deaths, um, has it been crunched down? How much of this is about deprivation, about where they were in the first place, and how much might be about language problems? Because that again seems to me something which has to be learnt from. Mm. So I've talked to Candice Brathwaite about this, who's a campaigner and um, sort of influencer, you know, blogger on these issues. And she thinks there is an element of racism, actually, um, I, you know, that, that um, black mothers are not taken seriously enough in the system. Uh, that's her opinion. She herself almost died um, after the birth of one of her children. And so she's got firsthand experience of this. Um, and she described how her own concerns were dismissed too often by the midwives. Um, so it's going to be different in every case, but there seems to be a, a unwillingness too often from some of these maternity units to listen to the mothers who often know if something's going wrong. In fact, over the, um, over the weekend, I watched this new Sky sitcom called Dreamland. Lily Allen's in it. And uh, there's a scene in there where there's a, there's a black woman who's pregnant. She goes to hospital because she's in pain. And they just say, oh, go home, you'll be fine. And she, and she basically launches into exactly what we're talking about, about how she's read all the stats, that black women are more likely to die. She's not going to be ignored. And in the end, they actually do, do, they do treat her. But I thought, wow, this is quite a strong sort of statement to be making in the middle of what is essentially a, a, a sitcom. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, so there is, I think there is a sense in which this is kind of seeping into cultural awareness yeah. and that so many families have experienced these problems. Um, you know, that there is, the, 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 particularly in the maternity units and the midwives, there's too often a lack of compassion. And, you know, it's certainly in my case, one of my children, he was upside down, nobody noticed. Um, and then I ended up having to have an emergency caesarean because, you know, there were, it was just not spotted in time. So there, I think so many people have got some kind of experience. And obviously when it goes wrong, it's so tragic and awful and heartbreaking for the families yeah. um, that, that you, you know, it just can't be ignored. Well, it's an extraordinary story. I'm sure that the, 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 the Times Health Commission will um, be looking into it uh, more. Now, who's, who's got nice Tweety Birds with them? Is that Libby? That'll be the Tweety Birds of Ipswich Station, a, a famous carry <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm, I'm between things, so I'm oh, no. standing in no, the No, it's nice, it's nice to hear the Tweety Birds. It's light ping on the Beck and Beacons, but we're not allowed to call it that anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> Libby, do you want to attempt what we're supposed to call the Beck and Beacons now? Uh, begins with the, quite an easy word, and then it goes goes weird, doesn't it? I have to say, look, I'm I'm all for sustainability and rewilding, but giving up on the beacon logo is just such a piece of virtue signalling. You know, a good logo is gold dust, and the idea that ending a picture of flames will help with carbon emissions is just so silly. I was listening to someone talking about it this morning, and how much carbon was emitted in all the meetings and redesign submissions. So this um, is so. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go. Banai Bukai Nigog Ineog. Inyog, but book Just call it Banau, Banau for short. Let's Banau, Banau's fault. Yeah. So, um, and so they 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 are changing the Brecon Beacons to Banau Bukoyinog, and uh, they are dropping the logo of the of the beacon, claiming that there's never been any evidence of beacons being there, and then also saying that they've been lighting beacons for jubilees and that sort of thing. Um, um, it struck me, Libby, it was a bit like sort of dropping the Olympic torch because it sent the wrong message <sighs> on carbon emissions or something. It's just a minor 
thing. I know, I know. I, I, I think once you've got a good logo, you should stick to it. I've got a deal with the Salvation Army that the day they change that little old-fashioned Victorian cross thing, they stop getting my 25 quid a month. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they change their name to save, exclamation mark, and have a stupid new logo, then I'm off. And uh, um, what, what, would you, what do you make of this, Rachel? Will you be calling it the new name or are you going to stick to calling it Opal Fruits uh, or uh, <laughs> a marathon? It's just com- completely stupid. But what I can't work out, is this to do with Welsh nationalism and having a Welsh name or is it actually to do with climate change? Well, I think there's a, a lot of that going on in there. And also what's not clear, somebody was pointing this out, is because the, they did the same thing with Snowdonia. But that was after a sort of a petition and a campaign and a consultation. And this just seems to be Beckham Beacons. I, mean, I suppose it has got us talking about the, the Beckham but Beacons. But also, everyone still talks about Snowdonia. And I yeah. notice in the story that everyone, you're going to have the choice of whether you call it Brecon Beacons or blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I bet everyone calls it Brecon Beacons. You know, it's just, it's such a, <laughs> Libby's completely right. It's virtue signaling. And please don't get cross Welsh people because I don't speak Welsh. Welsh. No, um, Welsh but, if, if our Welsh listener wants to get in touch... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, or email rachel.sylvester <laughs> uh, uh, directly. Well, it, yeah. But, but not... what is the point? I mean, there's enough trouble in the world and actually there, there's a real need to deal with climate change in a proper way, not with this nonsense. And on the subject <laughs> of where we should be going on our holidays, whether or not you go to the Brecon Beacons or not, uh, Libby, in your column today, you've got a solution <laughs> to the Airbnb problem. Yes, it was one of those who shall we upset today columns. Excellent. Um, uh, I just felt that self-catering, you know, the great trend, self-catering has now expanded hugely with Airbnb and people actually buying properties in resort areas and holiday areas, um, you know, specifically to make them Airbnb. Um, I think it has a lot to answer for. And I just thought, what has happened to the dear old-fashioned holiday family hotel? I mean, we know what's happened. You know, we know all the reasons they've declined. But if they ever were to revive, imagine how lovely you know no cooking and no cleaning and just a pleasant place to stay with people who are effectively hosts and so I thought I'd go into some memories of how it was and some talk about this and everyone's got furious with me under the line except the ones who the few who agree they all say but I need my Airbnb if I was if I was not self-catering I would not be able to stay in my pyjamas all day and the children would the children would be not safe sitting in your pyjamas posting angry comments on the Times website children might meet strangers dreadful things might happen no, it, you have to read the piece to see how incredibly reasonable I am trying I'm hard sure. to be. Uh, you are, just. as always, as always. <laughs> uh, talking of reasonableness, Roland's been in touch. We can't make you say it, but if you ask, how do I get to the Brecon Beacons, you'll be directed back to England. So that's good to have a Welsh <laughs> listener who's, uh, who's got in touch. Uh, right, up next, get your, get your calculators and your abacus out. We're going to do some maths. All adults should be able to do maths, PM insists. Uh, This is Rishi Sunak talking about maths in a speech this morning. Now, it's not that we're not just good enough at maths. There's a cultural issue here, too. I'll be honest. When my two young daughters first heard me talk about them doing more maths, they weren't too excited. And that's just it. We make jokes about not being able to do maths. It's socially acceptable. We say things like, oh... Maths, I can't do that, it's not for me, and everyone laughs. But we'd never make a joke like that about not being able to read. So we've got to change this anti-maths mindset. Uh, Rishi Sunak uh, speaking this morning. I'll, do a, I'll give uh, Libby and Rachel uh, on standby to do a maths test in just a moment. But first, let's speak to the math legend. Johnny Ball is with us. Morning, Johnny. Good morning, good morning. So, I mean, you're not a man with an anti-math mindset. Do you think that too many people in the country do have an anti-math mindset? 
Yeah, the problem has occurred over the years because consecutive ministers in education have thinned at the curriculum in order to get better results, to massage the results. And that hasn't worked. When I did my programs in the early 1980s, we found that the best mathematicians came out of Singapore. And we checked why and found they were reading and using the maths books that we used 20 years before. So it's all been thinned down. And what many, many uh, politicians have done have tried to thin the curriculum to get better results the following year when they're in and it's it's disastrous the other thing is <clears throat> everyone's talking about numeracy but in actual fact the greeks the greatest mathematical um, uh, group of, 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 of history didn't do numeracy they didn't even give their numbers names one was a two was b three was c alpha beta gamma but they did geometry and if we did more geometry, we'd be aware of spatial awareness. We'd be aware of uh, how a house looks, how it's built, how we could build it, how we could design it, how we could paint, how we could do all kinds of things. Once you get a geometric understanding of the world, then you'll take the maths on as well. Do you, th do you think it's also, like you said, uh, John, you were on the telly doing it in the early 80s, I remember it well. Um, do you think that it's partly because there isn't a Johnny Ball today doing maths on the telly? Well, there's no children's television today uh, to speak of, and it's the, the biggest tragedy that has hit television. And, uh, yeah, I'm still fit enough to do it, so if anybody's listening and want me to do it, we'll do it. And I still do a road show, I still do a theatre show, I still do lectures, but it's all about fun. And when I finish, after an hour and a quarter, the kids are not only better at understanding maths, but they're actually better at understanding their possibilities and the possibilities for them through their careers. Well, I'm going to so the Times have got uh, some maths questions online. So I'm going, to just, I'm going to give you the question now and I'll do the answer uh, in a couple of minutes. It says, Amy is one-third the age of her mother. In 12 years' time, Amy will be half the age of her mother. How old is Amy's mother? Amy is one-third the age of her mother. In 12 years' time, Amy will be half the age of her mother. How old is is Amy's mother. I'll, I will give you the answer. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do I'm it. I'm not thinking that way. <laughs> Had I been clued in, I would have done it quite easily. But I'm not going to do it because I'll go, uh, uh, no, hang on, I've got just a minute. How, when was the last time I did a, a, a puzzle like this? It's not difficult. But, um, but no, no, you're not leading me into that. No, fine, I won't get you to do it. Maybe, list, maybe listeners can text in if they think they know the answer. Um, Libby and Rachel, um, Rachel, it, it struck me, it, I, I, maybe the Prime Minister has got a point about how there is more of a stigma to not being able to read and be able to do maths. But to say it's it's part of the reason why the economy isn't booming, is damaging the economy, it does seem a bit of a stretch. Well, I think he's right in the sense that there is this sort of anti-maths culture. But that's partly because, as Johnny says, of the way in which maths has been taught. So when I was doing the um, Education Commission, we took evidence from Tamara Rojo, the head of the English National Ballet. And she talked about how in America they were doing this brilliant scheme, teaching girls in particular to do maths through ballet. And she said when she's choreographing a new dance, she thinks of it as quadratic equations. So maths should be something that's applied and fun um, and you know useful. And at the moment, it's all done in this very dry way. Yeah. But so I think um, I was pleased. I'm pleased that he is go going for this because it was one of the things we recommended with the Education Commission. But crucially, 
It was as part of a broadening of the whole curriculum so that that really does prepare children for the jobs they're going to have to do. And part of that is about doing maths if you also do English, but it's also about doing history or English if you also do science. So you need this broader, we called it a baccalaureate at 18, so that you, have, uh, you don't have to narrow down quite so much. Uh, Libby, how did you get on with the, with the, with the Times maths quiz? I uh, got them all, oh, uh, except the one with the brackets, because I don't, I've forgotten how you do brackets. Expand and simplify brackets, M plus 8 brackets, yeah. brackets, M minus 9 brackets, that, brackets, M the... plus 1 brackets, yeah. Rachel Sylvester and Libby Purvis there, and you can read the stories we were discussing. Just hit the link in the podcast description to read them, of course. You just need to subscribe to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, do you feel better off? The economic outlook will also dictate when we go to the polls. The Times reporting that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt are looking at a general election in the autumn of next year when they hope that things might have improved. Keir Starmer says he's ready. Every time the public get the chance to vote, they send the same message, which is they want change, they want Labour, they want the Tories out. We're ready for a general election. But is he? He knows the public historically don't trust Labour to run the economy or look after the public finances. It's why the Tory chairman, Grant uh, Greg Hans, is still waving around the notes that Liam Byrne left 13 years ago, saying that there is no money. So Labour need to paint Rishi, uh, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt as successors to Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng and hope that voters will answer Reagan's question, are you better off, with a resounding no. 
The Tories are hoping that inflation will be lower, interest rates will stop rising, and with two fiscal events before then, an autumn statement and a budget, they might even have room for some sweeteners in the shape of a tax cut or two. Well, this morning, Rishi Sunak was blaming the problems on the economy on our bad maths. Now, one of my five priorities is economic growth. And if we are going to grow our economy, not just over the next two years, but the next 20 we simply cannot allow poor numeracy to cost our economy tens of billions a year. So whose sums actually add up? The latest polls show that Labour is well ahead on most issues, but not well ahead on running the nation's finances. Why? Well, I'll ask the former Labour Business Secretary, Peter Mandelson. We'll also talk about what needs to go right for the government with a former advisor, to Philip Hammond. First, I'm joined by our economics guru, Paul Johnson, the, from the Institute of Fiscal Studies. Morning, Paul. Morning. Uh, and from the polling firm YouGov, uh, Lucas Palexis. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Paul, uh, in fact, Lucas, let's start with you first of all. Take us through the polling, because Labour's still got 15, 20-point lead in the polls. When it comes to the question of looking after the economy, even though they're ahead on the NHS and immigration and crime... On the economy, it's still neck and neck. And in some polls, the Tories still have a lead. That's right. So you're right in saying that Labour are ahead on the polls. And it goes back to the importance of the economy. Um, so obviously, we're living in a cost of living crisis at the moment. So when we look at our most important issues tracker, which is reflective of what people think is the most important issue based in the country, we see that economy tops the pack. Um it's not always the case. So if you look back to about 2016, post the referendum, we see that it's Britain leaving the EU that would top that chart. And then go forward some years, we see uh, the coronavirus hit. So health becomes top. But in all of those cases, economy was always, always linked and closely tied to those top issues. And that is why it's a centrepiece policy issue for the for Labour Party and the Conservatives and why they're talking about it so often. And is it right, the, the, I think it's one of your colleagues actually, you guys talked about this before, the sort of the, the, the golden triangle that you need to win at the general election, being ahead in voter intention, ahead on who would make the best Prime Minister, but ahead too on the economy. The, the, there's a reason why it's the economy stupid has held for so long in politics. Absolutely. So I think another, another term used is the holy trinity. Yes, that's the um, word, yes. Yeah, so you get so the voting intention, which obviously we see Labour ahead, have been circa 20 points for a little while now. Uh, the preference of PM um, comparing Keir Starmer to Rishi Sunak and again, Keir's leading that. And now it's managing the economy. So it's it's tied. There's no overwhelming sense of Labour completely dominating this tracker. However, the Holy Trinity seems to be coming together. OK, let's uh, talk to Paul. Uh, Paul Johnson, uh, give us a sense first of... Um, should, given looking at the state of the economy, should Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt be uh, just ahead on managing the, the nation's finances? Uh, well, certainly this government hasn't had a great uh, record on doing that for the last several years. Um, the uh, Clearly, um, last autumn was pretty disastrous uh, in favour of um, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt rather than their party. Um, they have cleared up most of the mess that was created by other members of their party back in um, September. But we are still living quite clearly with the consequences of Brexit. I mean, the one of the main reasons, not the only one, but one of the main reasons why our economy has done worse than 
pretty much all of the other developed economies over the last three or four years uh, is because of the costs associated with Brexit, but also the costs associated with the political instability um, which uh, which we've had over the last um, over the last few years. So I, I guess that what the Prime Minister and Chancellor are going to try and run on is not their party's um, uh, their party's management over the last several years. Uh, but on themselves and on how they're different. Uh, I suppose they won't sure they won't say that, but effectively they'll be implying uh, that we're moving to a new period of stability and a new period of economic management. Now, clearly, that's something that um, incumbent parties can do to some extent. But to do that you know, yet again at the next election um, uh, might well be more of a struggle. And what is the economic outlook? Because, of course, I mean, do you feel better than you did four years ago? People probably can manage. 13 years ago is a harder thing to imagine, but just because life changes and jobs change and circumstances change. Mm. Um, but what is the economic outlook for, for Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt to ask a question next year? Do you feel better than you did better off than you did two years ago when we took over? What what What's your assessment of where the economy will, might be over the next 12, 18 months? Well, it looks like it's going to be doing rather anyway, less badly than we feared back <laughs> in the autumn, um, partly because of the sort of clear up job that they have done and the increased um, stability. There was a, a poll, uh, a survey out today of um, chief financial officers of big companies, which suggests they were rather more cheery than they've been for a little while. But if you look at the sort of the pound in your pocket, uh, as it were, um, it's still, I don't think, going to be looking great. Um, actually, people's incomes did do remarkably well up until um, a, 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 for the f sort of two years over the pandemic and just beyond. Uh, but with the, um, the very high rates of inflation we've had for a year and more uh, now, um, by the time we get to the next election, I don't think people will be feeling better off than they were at the time of the uh, last election. That's going to be really quite um, difficult to run, therefore, on a sort of feel-good factor. Whilst inflation might well be down and interest rates at least stabilised and possibly even beginning to um, come down and the job market is strong, all of those things will look reasonably positive um, and a lot of it will be pointing in the right direction. So I think the argument will be less about uh, are you feeling much better off than you were and more about um, do you think things are now going the right way? And do you want to risk um, what might happen in the future with a different government? I think that's the kind of uh, discussion we're likely to see rather than the implausible claim uh, that oh, you're all much better off than you were in 2019. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be true, but it more the sort of, well, you know, it's been difficult. We've had COVID um, you know, under those circumstances. It's not as bad as it could have been. And look, everything is beginning to look like it's moving the right way. Uh, Paul, let's bring in Poppy Trowbridge now, former uh, advisor to uh, the Treasury to the Chancellor Philip Hammond. Hi, Poppy. Morning, everyone. What's the best case scenario in the Treasury think for how things pan out in the run-up to the next election? And what will they be most worried about? Well, having done a number of fiscal events myself, I mean, the one <laughs> the one thing you know for sure is that until you see the sort of numbers measuring the latest scenario for the economic picture, you're never entirely sure of how much headroom or extra cash you have to, to play for. And actually, in, in my time, uh, once or twice, actually, there was more than we expected. And and then that's where you can, can spend it on rabbits in the hat at these fiscal events, at budgets and these giveaways. But 
Actually, I think the best case scenario for those looking ahead to uh, an election is to make sure that the next two budgets, or budget and, and autumn statement, uh, lay the groundwork, I think, on a wider set of policies, things like childcare, education, pensions, because if they hold on to it and wait for giveaways just ahead of an election, I, that is a really risky way to try and win people's vote. I think what we're seeing is the early evidence that these two, the Chancellor and the Prime Minister, are looking to show, as Paul was saying, competence, calm management on a whole range of policy issues. And if they can get people to accept that that's what they're doing successfully, they might actually be able to borrow a little bit more time to then really see delivery on the economic elements. Uh, the thing is, even even if they do find some headroom, as you say, Poppy, um, and they do, they can do something eye-catching. One of the ideas being floated is uh, cutting a penny from income tax. Uh, Paul Johnson, how much would that actually cost? And there's a there's a real risk if the price of everything is going up. You could spend a lot of money on cutting a penny off income tax, and nobody would notice. Yeah, it costs um, getting on for, well, it depends whether it's all income tax rates or just the basic rate. You're looking at seven or eight billion wow, yeah. pounds, which is quite a lot of money, um, but which is actually less than the increase in in, in income tax this year, uh, which resulted from the failure to increase uh, rate uh, allowances and thresholds with the uh, very high rate of inflation. That that is, People don't necessarily notice that so yeah. much because they don't lose cash. But more and more of our income is being dragged into tax by that failure to increase. I mean, what the Conservatives are not going to be able to do is go into the next election and say your taxes are lower than they were at the time of the last election. There's no, there, there may be a scope. I'm sure there will be scope to do some tax cuts next year. But it will remain the case that taxes will be significantly higher going into the next election than they were in the last one. Uh, and I think we all need to get used to the fact that I'd be willing to bet quite a lot. Um, on that still being true in the election after that. So if we get to an election in 2029 or 2030, taxes will still be a lot higher than they were back in 2020. Paul Johnson uh, for the Institute of Fiscal Studies. Thanks for that. And thanks as well to uh, Lucas Palekis uh, from uh, YouGov. Poppy, just um, I'm getting slight flashbacks to, I can't remember which one it was. There was a Tory party conference where um, your boss, Philip Hammond, announced a big change to students debt or student fees and it cost you billions of pounds and basically nobody noticed and is there um is well, there a, happened a number of times over, yes. over my time in government that is the danger and the other risk to this all this talk of an income tax cut a 1p cut matt is that uh, it sets a precedent it's very hard to unwind yeah and 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 then the Conservative Party, the Tories, the administration in charge would essentially be setting a precedent that this is the kind of lever they they have to pull and if you look at what's happened with fuel duty that's where that's where they would be headed if they were to think about a policy like this, something that's almost irreversible uh, without an enormous amount of effort. And I suspect that they're they're really looking at any and every other way to um, win over voters on on a sort of giveaway without doing that. It'd be interesting to see what if were that to be the case, what the Labour reaction would be. They could almost make a virtue of. It's the same old toy, unfunded tax cuts. It's Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwasi and over again. We're not going to promise you the moon on a stick. And actually, that suddenly starts becoming a, a virtue that you're you're not making, you know, the promises of, of tax cuts, that you're, you're going to be more sensible with the nation's finances. 
Well, look, there's a there's a weird reversal here where, you know, there there are some polls showing that the Conservative Party are considered a, a high tax party and and uh, Labour's running and Rachel Reeves is running on a on a message of of very sound conservative fiscal management. But the one thing I would say is despite those election platforms, essentially, that's what they are. Is that the problems are actually shared by who by by both Labour and the Conservatives and whoever wins the next election and and a big chunk of those problems are are, are global they're out of our control Think, things like COVID and the war in Ukraine and consequential high energy prices um, now I would add Brexit to that not out of our control but it was unexpected so put it into a larger basket these big shocks to the economy are going to be shared by whoever wins the next election and so there's a certain portion of that 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 isn't down to party political manifesto. Probably really good to speak to you. Poppy Jobish there, former advisor to Philip Hammond when he was Chancellor. Up next, we're going to hear from the other side. Peter Mandelson knows how to win and, yes, lose an election. Uh, we'll find out what his advice to Keir Starmer is when it comes to the economy. Very good morning to you. It's Matt Jolly on Times Radio. Asking the question, do you feel better off? It's the Reagan question that won in the 1980 election. And it's a question that the Labour Party will want to put to voters at the next election. Let's speak now to Peter Madison, Law Madison, of course, uh, former Labour business... Well, I won't list all his jobs because we've only got 10 minutes. Um, uh, former business secretary, amongst others. Morning, Peter. Good morning, Matt. So, to explain this to me. Labour Party miles ahead in the voting intention polls. Keir Starmer ahead on the question of the best Prime Minister. Ahead on who would be best on the NHS and best on crime and the environment and everything else but at best neck and neck, and in some polls behind on the economy. How big a problem is that for Keir Starmer and the Labour Party? It's something that they have to address over the next year as, as we go towards the next election. But, you know, I mean, it's pretty clear from what we were just hearing, I think, that what uh, Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt will try to pretend is that, you know, ignore the last 13 years of, you know, chronic economic failure by the Tories. Now we're under new management, um, and which, of course, is always nice to hear, but I don't think it's uh, credible uh, because he still carries the 10-ton weight of the Tory party, its factions, its divisions, and its record uh, behind him. And I think what people will be doing going into the next election is asking what on earth the point would be of a fifth term, another term, number five, of a Tory government. And I think that's why the polls are right in indicating a Labour victory at the next election. Of course, in 2010, uh, the Labour Party tried to do exactly that. You know, you tried to present it as under new management. Gordon Brown was a new boom. But uh, the, ultimately, the voters just want to change sometimes. Well, he was carrying the burden of the global financial crisis that had been exported from the United States to the rest of the world. Now, he got a lot of uh, credit uh, for leading our response to that and preventing the uh, banks taking the rest of the UK economy over a cliff behind them. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they were very worrying times. It, it created a, you know, a really sort of big dent uh, in the UK economy and its performance, and it hasn't really been extinguished uh, ever since. So that's why people uh, voted in effect uh, for a hung parliament. They didn't give David Cameron uh, a, an overall majority in 2010. But Matt, can, can I, I mean, we can carry on debating polls and whatever. I I think that what the where the debate has got to go is that we've got to start 
in our country. I mean, a whole new economic chapter in our national story. I mean, we need a national mission that's going to galvanize government, galvanize businesses and the country as a whole to lift the entire economy onto a different, higher growth trajectory in the long term uh, than than we've seen over the last uh, decade. And that requires a coherent, long-term strategy whose pillars have got to be stability, I mean, by which I mean political and financial stability. Secondly, innovation, uh, at which we in this country excel in our research-based universities, and massive and sustained investment, uh, principally private, uh, but catalyzed and levered into the economy uh, by public investment and action as, uh, as well. I mean, we've got to decide what we're good at in order to make our living uh, in the in the future. We've got to zero in on those things and focus in a laser-like way, concentrate our efforts and resources where we can create new businesses, new industry, and new growth points around the country. Uh, otherwise, we're just talking about small change. We're just talking about you know, zigzagging around the place and trying to sort of remedy in the short term Um, uh, problems and challenges we face, which are quite fundamental. Now, we've got to end that sort of endemic short-termism that we've seen uh, over the last uh, uh, decade uh, or so and begin, launch ourselves onto a new mission, a new trajectory that's going to turn around our economy in the long term. Do you think that the um Keir Starmer is is sufficiently gripped by that? You're talking about zigzagging and small things. But his big announcement over the weekend seemed to be he wants to make it easier to get out of subscription plan, auto-renewed subscription plan. That feels a bit um fiddly and not very big picture. Yeah, but he also launched uh, five big uh keystone uh missions mm. in 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 a speech the other uh, uh week. Uh, which uh, I think is the right approach uh, for two reasons. First of all, we've got to get some fundamental things right and changed uh, in our economy and in our uh, society. And secondly, you need a different approach to government. I mean, instead of the the sort of siloized sort of different government departments doing their own uh, thing, chopping and changing each time there's an, a new prime minister or indeed even a new secretary of state uh, in, in these departments. It's a sort of stop-go approach uh, to policy making, And I think this is going to become a key difference uh, between Conservative uh, and Labour. I mean, Rishi Sunak once explained to me in a, in a conversation we were having why he believes in market forces being allowed to operate alone. I mean, he, he he explained that he thinks government involvement in the economy is an interference or it's a subsidy that will get in the way of markets working. But here's the point. Markets don't always work in the way that we want them to. I mean, they don't take risks. Uh, they don't invest for the long term uh, uh, very often. And sometimes government has got to supplement those market signals or provide incentives to markets uh, and to the private sector uh, in order to lift ourselves onto that different trajectory, that different longer term uh, path of growth. That's called industrial policy or industrial uh, strategy, which has experienced 
problems in the past in its operation, but which I think we can get get, back get better and right in the future. Just a couple of other issues I want to um, ask you about, Peter Batters. You, you talked about how David Cameron only got a hung parliament in, in 2010. I just wonder what you think might happen at the next general election. Keir Starmer needs Tony Blair 1997-style gains to end up with a David Cameron-size majority from 2015. Do you think it's possible, uh, currently, as things stand, what's more likely? Is it a hung parliament or a Labour majority government? I, I can't tell at this stage, Matt. It's too far out. <laughs> you're so out. wise, Peter. You know about these things. Yes, but I'm so wise that I'm not going to give you a prediction. Um, look, I think that, uh, look, there are there are about, as we stand at the moment, there's about an equal chance of a hung parliament uh, and, uh, and Labour gaining mm. an overall uh, majority. Uh, I would not put money uh, on a Conservative re-election uh, at the next uh, election. I know they talk about a narrow path to victory. Well, in my view, it's very narrow uh, and obviously it's worth talking about, but I don't think it's uh, really uh, uh, credible. You know, I, I, I want to see over the coming year a very different political and economic discussion. Uh, as I said, we've got to talk about what we're good at in this country. I mean, we've mm. entered an era of fantastic technological change and disruption. And we've got to turn this technological change into new business and industrial opportunities uh, uh, for the country, whether it be in the transition to clean power and digitization or life sciences or the human uh, genome. There are so many ways in which artificial uh, intelligence, quantum uh, computing, uh, robotics are going to transform our economy. Now, we can either be at the cutting edge of that change, exploit it and convert it into new businesses and industrial opportunity, or we can you know, take the slow lane, sit back and watch all our economic rivals uh, uh, putting in the effort, the money, the investment to get ahead of us. And that's what I don't want to see. I want to see Britain up there ahead of the curve doing what we need to do mm. in order to beat the economic competition and make sure that we can sustain economic growth in the long term. It's got a big, bold, uh, dare I say it, slightly idealistic vision of what you think politics should be over the next 12 months. No, it's very Peter. practical. It's very practical, Matt. It's not idealistic. <laughs> I just wonder... There's nothing wrong with idealism. No, uh, I just wonder whether, where in your grand sweep of where you think politics should be over the next 12 months, the political and economic debate, where you think an advert saying that Rishi Sunak thinks paedophiles shouldn't go to prison. Where does that yeah, fit in? Yeah, but that's in? a different subject. That's to do with the... A criminal justice uh, system which has just reached a state of collapse. Would you have signed uh, off on uh, that advert? You've, done, you've I, done lots of adverts in the past, Peter. Would you have signed off on this Labour attack ad? Yes, I would. Yes, it, I would. Yes, I would. Because the, the, the point is that Rishi Sunak uh, is the face and leader of the Conservative Party. He has to answer for and hold himself accountable for the Tories' 13-year uh, record. He might like to wash his hands of it. He might like to pretend he's a, uh, he's a clean skin. He might like to pretend that going forwards, the Tories are going to be under completely new management. Well, come on, pull the other one. The British public are not stupid. They know what, uh, so what's been it... going on for the last 13 years, and that's what they're going to vote on at the next election. Is it OK, then, for the Tories to talk about Keir Starmer's record as DP, uh, Director of Public Prosecutions and the failure to prosecute Jimmy Savile? 
they have done. Uh, but I tell you what, the Conservatives... We're better than that, though, aren't we, Peter? Hold surely, on a surely we're Matt, better than that. Matt, let me make my point. Uh, they have done, but what they're much better at and what they're what they have the support of the right-leaning, the Conservative-supporting media to do, is for those newspapers to do it on their behalf. That's the difference between Conservative and Labour. They get the Tory-supporting papers to throw mud and to do all this sort of stuff. Uh, 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 the Labour Party has, doesn't have that so, advantage. So it throws its own it doesn't have the same media support in this country that the Conservatives do. Peter Madison, always good to speak to you. Uh, uh, Pleasure. Uh, good to speak to you. Peter Madison, the former business uh, business secretary, uh, amongst many other uh, many other jobs as well. Um, uh, and that brings us to the end of the big thing today. We heard from uh, Lucas Pilekis uh, from YouGov, the IFS director, Paul Johnson, former advisor to Philip Hammond, uh, Poppy Trowbridge, and uh, Peter Madison there. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from this episode of politics without the boring bits is brought to you by luton rising owners of london luton airport the uk's most socially impactful airport find out more at lutonrising.org.uk hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.